Today, God is wanting to let you know what he's going to do the next eight or nine months in your life. He's announcing what he wants to do. The word gospel really means the announcement of a new king has been installed. There's a new king called Jesus. And so the good news is that the old king is no longer over your life, but the new king is over your life. That's what it means. The ultimate goal of the gospel. Hear it. The ultimate goal of the gospel is self-adjusting behavior. I don't really need somebody looking over me telling me stuff because I'm guided by that inward lordship. That was the plan of the gospel. And what happens is the less lordship you have in a society, the more you need police, the more you need people telling you what to do and regulations. But if you have the Lord as the king of your life, you don't need a lot of laws. You don't need a lot of police. And we saw in the last three or four years, they wanted to defund the police. And that's, that's only good for Christian churches. I mean, if I got Jesus, the Lord, I can defund. I don't need as many police because I'm going to have self-regulating behavior. I'm going to be regulated by my inward lordship. Somebody say regulated by the inward lordship. And so many people don't understand that the gospel has to be personal before it can be corporate. That I've got to be the one that regulates myself. And that's what teaching is. All right. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 down to verse 27. We're going to go back to the original kingdom design. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. For God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Now, look back at verse 26. Somebody shout the word dominion. dominion. Louder. Dominion. One more time. Dominion. So God's original plan was that he make this family that was connected to him as father and king. And he would give them these abilities like he had, the same likeness, the same image, the same capacity. Do you understand that you are the same species as God? You have the same element as God. You know, my only daughter, when she was about, you know, 15, a lot of guys went to date her. I said, no, 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 you, you, you can't date anybody right now. She was as tall as a full-grown woman. I said, no, you're just a walking bag of hormones. You know, how many understand that, you're, that your brain doesn't fully grow up till you're 21 or 22? I'm not going to send a bag of hormones that half a brain to go date anybody. And when she got 18, her last year of, of school in high school, she had told these guys, I can't date till I'm 18. And they started asking her for dates. And I said, I said, are they Christians? She says, no. And she did hate confrontation at that time. You know, I do want to say, she said, well, daddy, what should I tell them? I said, you tell them your father says you cannot date outside of your species. Somebody say, please don't date the animals. Come on, say, please don't date the animals. If 
find you a young person and point to him and say, please don't date the animals. Don't date that animal nature. Well, Kevin, how can you say we're the same species as God? God's going to marry us. He called us the bride of Christ. He's not going to marry outside of his species. Look at your neighbor and say, you are the bride of Christ. So in the beginning before the fall, God planned all these things to happen as we're related and connected to Father. As we are walking in the glory, somebody say walking in the glory. The glory really is the manifested likeness and image of God that's coming into a place to restore us. Well, even though Adam and Eve fell, all the capacities were still there. Everybody here wants dominion. You are made to have dominion, but only in the glory. If you're not in the presence of God, dominion turns into selfish human domination. And we've seen that all through the wars and all the things that have happened. He said, why does God, why does God allow this? Because he gave you a free will. And God has chosen to leave it that way, but let Jesus come and have self-regulation inside of us. Now, why is this so important? All the principles that are in the Bible only are effective when we come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and we get back in the glory. Like all the admonitions in the Bible about husbands love your wives, wives submit to your husbands. You, know, you, you go to most churches, you say wives submit to your husband. It's like you just made a bad smell on the elevator, like, ugh. I'm not going to do that. No, no, you got to understand something. It's only going to work when we get our marriages in the glory. It's only going to work when we get our marriages in the glory. So what happened is when Adam and Eve fell, the whole earth became cursed. Is Parkersburg cursed? Okay, let me give you the, how you can know something's cursed. There were no thorns or thistles in the earth before Adam and Eve fell. No thorns. But when they fell, thorns and thistles began to appear in the earth as a sign of the curse. Say thorns are a sign of the curse. So what kind of crown was on Jesus' head? Thorns. Because he took the curse on himself. Now watch. If you can find thorns, that means you're the curse. So everything that God designed to work only works in the glory, only works when I get my nature under lordship. Let, let me show it to you how this works. Judges chapter 3, verse 16. This is the curse. God is pronouncing the curse. Let me just say this. God never designed that childbirth be painful before the fall. I don't know if you just squat and pop one out. I don't know what would happen. <laughs> We're having a baby. There he is. <laughs> but I know some ladies are in labor for two, three days and screaming at their husband. You did this to me. That's part of the curse. That's part of the curse. And so part of that childbearing thing 
is that we got to be redeemed as humans from the curse operating through our animal nature. And it's automatic. You don't have to do anything to make the curse flow because you have a fallen human nature. Look at your neighbor and say, sometimes I think nasty thoughts. Look at your neighbor and say, sometimes these hands do nasty things. That's that human nature. That's, I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 99 years old. I can't do nothing, but I'm sure thinking about it. Look at me say, sometimes I think nasty thoughts. That's the human nature. And the Bible says we have to crucify that nature. We have to make a decision. No, that's the animal coming out of me. But look what it says. To the woman, he said in Genesis 3:16, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth children and your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Well, what does that mean? My desires. No, you understand the Hebrew there. It means your animal nature has a desire to rule over your husband. I'm in charge here. I'm big mama. You do what I say. The man said, I'm the head of the family, but I'm the neck. I turn it any way I want to turn it. And so everybody, when they get married, if they don't stay in the glory of God, if they don't have Jesus as Lord, it's going to be animal fights. And most of the time, women win. And the way that men respond is to be macho man. I'm going to verbally abuse you to try to keep that animal nature in you. I'm going to punch you out. Domestic violence. How many understand that's the man trying to have the woman not rule over him? And then the woman, she's got her own manipulative ways. But all that stuff was never in the beginning because that desire for dominion is manifested in your animal nature. You'll never change it by more police, more laws, more regulation. You only will change it by having lordship in the glory. How many understand that? Well, let me just say this. If you don't get people in the glory and you don't get people staying full of the Holy Ghost, then that animal nature starts coming back. You've got to have injections of the Holy Ghost. You've got to have daily bread. I've got, got to have my daily dosage of the Holy Spirit and my daily dosage of the Word of God, else I begin to revert to my animal nature. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? So you see people that are in church, they have a decent marriage, and they quit reading their Bibles. They quit coming in the fellowship of the saints. They isolate themselves. They start spending time with animal nature kind of people, even though they're sophisticated. It's still the animal nature. Guess what happens to you? You become more and more animalistic. And your marriages get mean and ugly. Your desires get mean and ugly. Why? 
is not something that just because I get born again, it's gone. I've got to have a maintenance program in the Holy Ghost. Is anybody understanding what I'm saying? And so if you're not having daily worship with God, daily fellowship, reading your own Bible, you may be a nice person, but you're a domesticated animal. And you still have those animal desires in the relationship. You know, if I was a wedding director, and that's a scary thought. <laughs> you know, usually what you have is the guy does a ceremony and it's very nice and everybody's polite. And he turns around and he says, I want to present for the first time, Mr. and Mrs. whatever. But if I was the wedding director, it'd be totally different. I said, turn around. I'd snap my fingers and it'd be two giant crosses with wheels on them. I put them cross on their shoulders and then I'd have that, that WWE wrestling voice. And now let's get ready to rumble. It's on like Donkey Kong. It's going to be on in this place. You can't tell a man nature in a How do you understand that dating is best basically acting? It's a job interview. You're going to put the best you forward. The first date, she's got her girlfriends there, picking out the right dress, tries eight or nine of them. I think he's the one. I think he's the one. You got a, you got a beauty team making sure everything is right. So when you appear, it's like, up? And the guy, man, he's making sure everything is shaved and his pits are good. Everything is well. <laughs> he goes and takes her to the, the restaurant. And if he's got a toot, he's, I'll be right back. <laughs> and so all this play acting takes place until they get married. Second week of marriage, he walks past the bedroom. <laughs> Honey! Oh, that's natural. Hey, better out than in. Just like Shrek said, better out than in. And you realize, you tricked me. He said, you tricked me. Like the, the guy that got married and when he was having his wedding night. She took her hair off and put it on a little thing here. <laughs> took her teeth out, put them on the thing. Took her chest off and put it over here. <laughs> it was a fantasy. Look at your neighbor and say, sometimes. I think nasty thoughts, but I'm getting better. And so if you don't have women and men that stay in the glory of God, they're going to have warfare in their marriages. And many times women, they don't get that thing dealt with and they want to rule over their husband and the husband wants to be Mr. Macho Man. But God has a way that he wants to change us. 
Somebody say transformed by truth. Come on, say transformed by truth. Tonight, the name of this message is being reconciled to kingdom normal. Being reconciled to kingdom normal. How many understand that the average person has no idea what kingdom normal is? Even some of you in this church have no idea what is kingdom normal. Like some people, were, these little kids were up here prophesying. And they were like, and then I always say, oh, what is this about? This time, I never saw it. That's because you weren't raised with kingdom normal. I remember when I first got saved in 1971. And I got saved in a movement called the, the Word of Faith. And one of the things that was always in the Word of Faith, they were reading books from other authors that had supernatural experiences like uh, Smith Wigglesworth and Maria Woodworth Edder, all of these amazing stories of how God would do miracles and signs and wonders. And they were passing those books around. Why? Most people have no memory of miracles. You have no memory of signs and wonders. It's a rare thing. They pray these stupid prayers. Now, Lord, if it be your will, heal people. He said, did you read my book? It is my will. Lord, if it be your will, save people. Did you read my book? It is my will. But what happens is if you don't have a memory of that and it's never been around you, either you got to read something to say this is normal or go someplace where they think it's normal and say, you know what? I'm changing my mind about the supernatural. I want this to be the normal way of my life. And when you start emerging in a religious culture and you want to be the one, let's pray for this and pray. They think they look at you like you got a third eye. What? God, God, what? Yeah, let's cast out a demon. Oh, there's no more demons. They're all gone. There's nothing. No, you, don't, you have no memory of kingdom normal. And so what God is wanting to do this year is to make the kingdom normal supernatural thing something that everybody says is normal. Do you understand there's a thing called corporate faith? Somebody say corporate faith. Corporate faith. Pastor David and I were talking about some of the visiting ministries he's had here in the last, oh, I don't know, eight, nine years. And a lot of them, when they came here, they had explosive meetings. And they thought that it was just because they were good preachers, but they were tapping in to corporate faith. They were tapping into a belief system of a people who believe that this was normal. You didn't have to get people all round up and get them, you know, we, how many believe in America? The whole crowd goes, ah. let me give an example. You get this guy that's not, not been around very many good churches that are explosive with corporate faith. And he says like this, and I want, I want you to go explosive and yell and scream. Will you do that for me? And he's got this little nice pastoral voice, Pastor Peter Pan, taking people to never, never land. You're never going to have a miracle. You're never going to have a healing. Just that. How many would like to see a miracle? <laughs> Pastor Peter Pan goes, what, what's going on here? Uh, and he sings a song that he's been singing for the last 
five years, but he sings it here and he hits the chorus and all of a sudden people begin to go. He tapped into corporate faith. He didn't just get one people that would like to see it. He found people that believe it and they're pulling on him. How many understand that you can, you can provoke the preacher in the supernatural? Now, here's what you know, we're going to practice. Can we practice? Okay, when I start exhorting, I want you to say, come on, Kevin, you better preach that thing. Come on, brother. Hey, hey, hey. I just go, can you do that for a second? All right. I believe that God's going to do something supernatural. And... There's going to be a move of the spirit in this place. I feel the Holy Ghost. He's here. He's here. He... This is going to be the year of jubilee and miracles and signs. And... How many felt that draw coming out of here? See, being in a message like this is not passive. Let me show you it in a different way. I need 10 people who are loud in the crowd. I need some, where's my big mouth at? As one. Now just stay, stay where you are. Stay where you are. I, I need some big mouth. All right? Now I want you, I need about four or five more big mouths. Now what you do, uh, listen, some of y'all got this sermon. You go pick out that big mouth. I know you got a big mouth. Stand up. You got it. Now the rest of you just be, you kind of give me golf clapping. But I want my big mouth to begin to do what the other people were doing just a second ago, all right? Let me show you how a small group of people can shift the service. God is going to do something great in this place. It was only about four or five people, only about 10 people. Are you ready for God to visit you with miracles? How many want the release of the prophetic in this place? Now listen, you can shift the supernatural in this place for the rest of the year. You can be seated and you can take somebody just not an on fire person, but if you start doing that, they're going to say, hey, I'm really doing good. I'm going to do some more of it. I mean, understand what I'm saying. All right. So God is about to reposition you to think this is kingdom normal. But the first thing is that I get reconciled to righteousness. What does it mean to be reconciled to righteousness? The word reconciliation in accounting terms is that you have two sets of books or you have your daily you know, your daily uh, cash register receipts and you got to reconcile everything. So you, you judge the two books you, so they'll come together. Well, God said, I'm about to reconcile you to righteousness. So this boldness thing is going to come. Now, let me say what's going to happen. I'm announcing what's about to happen in this place. Turn your Bible to the book of Genesis, chapter 32, verse 24. Jacob was the son who got the birthright and he stole the blessing and when he stole the blessing he disguised his hand with animal skin fur 
because the brother was very hairy. If you don't know the story, I encourage you to read it. So he had the voice of his brother, but the smell and the, the fur on his hands that his dad, who was blind, thought this is Esau, his brother. So he gets the gift. He gets the blessing with animal nature. And God says, no, no, no. You got the gift. You got the birthright. I gave you the blessing, but I'm not going to let you use it till the animal's gone. Get ready for God to deal with you because he's going to change many of you in this next year. Jesus chapter 32, verse 24, and Jacob was left alone. Can I say that when you feel like you're left alone, you're not alone. And a man wrestled with him to the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he took the socket of his hip and the socket of Jake, Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. That's the angel speaking or Jesus Christ speaking. He said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he said, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Now, whenever God asks you what your name is, what he wants is not just your name. He wants your sin nature to be confessed. I'm a liar. I'm a fraud. I'm a fake. I'm a fornicator. I'm a masturbator. I'm a controlling woman. I'm a dominant man. I'm a passive man. He wants you to confess all your animal nature issues. Come on, raise your hand. Say, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Let the visitation continue. I will confess my animal nature. Just like Jacob said. And so he confesses his name and his name really meant kind of like, I'm going to take advantage of you. And he says, your name can no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have prevailed and struggled with God and men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, tell me your name. He said, I pray. What is that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel, for I've seen the face of God and my life is preserved. Everybody say Peniel. The word Peniel means to see the face of God. The word presence means face. So when God's presence comes, his face is near. And God said, I want to show you my face. Come on, raise your hand. Say, Holy Spirit. I want to see the face of God. I want to see the face of God. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, that as in a mirror, we go from glory to glory to glory to glory. Now, what does glory mean? The next level of manifested image that I see what God is making me to become. It's like in a mirror. I see the future me in this mirror. Somebody say glory, glory. to glory. Glory. To glory. glory to glory to glory. Now, I've been born again. 53 years, never backslid. And I probably have gone through 10 transitions of one glory to another glory. Some of you guys were in Baptist glory. You really got saved. You got the Holy, Holy Spirit, got you regenerated. You accepted Christ. You got born again. You knew nothing about tongues and miracles and signs and wonders. You basically just heard principles. But there's more. Somebody say, there's more. Come on, shout, there's more. there's more. 
Then some of you, you got baptized in the Holy Spirit, began to pray in tongues. So now you kind of a Baptist, Pentecostal, Bapticostal. But you don't really believe in miracles and signs and wonders and prophecy. You don't really believe in that. And so every time God reveals another dimension, it's another place of glory. Do you know you can get stuck in glory? All over this area, all the way, let's say, to Columbus, 100-something miles away, Columbus, Ohio. There are hundreds of churches that had church this morning. None of them are going to have church tonight because it's too much work. Nobody will show up, no interest, whatever. They just have one service. But those churches, listen to me, they have a time zone. Some of those churches, you drove up in a modern car, but when you get in a building, it's back to 1800s. You're in that kind of glory. Now, God will meet them there. They're singing from song books. They're singing from songs written from 200 years ago. And it's not that God's not going to meet them there, but they're stuck in that glory. Other churches, they're in the early 1900s. Some churches are in 1940, 1950. Some people are stuck in the 70s. Is anybody getting this yet? You know, when I first started traveling, I, I didn't recognize that was the deal. I figured if you asked me to come, you're really wanting what I have. And I, I found out that wasn't true. It was like I got parachuted into this church and I'm trying to bring them to where I am. And I began to realize these people are 100 years behind me. And I found out you can't take a people that are 100 years behind forward in one weekend. I tried, doesn't work. And so you've got to realize about this church. Why you get so much persecution. Why you get so much chatter on Facebook. Why you get people that are angry at you. Even some of the ones that left. You know why? This church is about to go to the next dimension of glory. Does it mean that those are not Christians? How many realize the former move of God always persecutes the next move of God? We believe that you can get saved instantly. We believe you can pray in tongues. We believe that you can have a tongue and interpretation. We believe that little kids can prophesy. We believe that God could do miracles and signs and wonders. We believe that God can take you to heaven. We believe that Jesus can walk in your room. All of those things are biblical, but basically because I haven't experienced it, it's not the culture of my church. And so when you get around them, just recognize, I got to go down and talk to these people from a different realm of glory. And don't get proud about it. You got it by grace. You got it by the mercy of God. But once you understand this, and it's like they're fighting, like you're doing something wrong. You, you want holiness. I, I want to be reconciled to righteousness. And so many Christians, they're going to heaven, but they got more culture of the world than the culture of the kingdom. And so when you confront them about dealing with their, their lifestyle, 
they push back. It don't take all that. You can't tell me what to wear. You can't do that to me. Is anybody hear what I'm saying? Now, you can wear anything you want, but there's going to be consequences if it's risque or it's not right. And you got to realize that that's part of the going from one glory to the other. Especially in a corporate meeting. Now, let me tell you what's about to happen in this place. It's happening to some of you right now. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. Now, let me just say this again for the fourth or fifth time. The concept of the unconditional love of God is not biblical. If that was true, there'd be no hell. If that was true, he would not have put in the communion, if you take it in an unworthy manner, you take it and you're not connected to covenant, you don't have a, a lifestyle this uh, connected to covenant and you're, you got compliance to the covenant, you can be sick, you can even die. Well, that's consequences. And so why am I saying this? Until I know there's consequences, I won't really have self-adjusting behavior. There's a lot of things I don't do because of consequences. And if I take away the consequences that you can do what you want to do and go what you want to, and God's going to love you anyway. Listen, it's not a matter of God loving you. It's about covenant compliance. Somebody say covenant compliance. And so when it says unconditional love, that means when it says unconditional love, it doesn't mean no matter what I do or say, God's going to treat me the same. No, he won't. No, he won't. People say, well, God never talks to me. I said, do something bad. He'll talk to you pretty quick. It's called conviction. Hebrews 10, 26. For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. But a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation, which would devour the adversary. Now, listen to me. After the book of Acts, every mention of sin in the Bible is to Christians. This is the Christian. It's not to the lost. It's not to the world. Just he's talking to Christians. Go read the book of Revelation. Jesus said, unless you repent, I'll remove your candlestick. That's a consequence. Anyone who's rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Now he's talking to the church. He said, I will repay this behavior. That's not un you know, unconditional. I will repay the Lord again, the Lord says, and will judge his people. Then he says in verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands with the wrong attitude with the hands of a living God. Now, are you ready for this? Now, how many of you got saved and your family wasn't saved? How many of you got spirit-filled and you was in a non-spirit-filled culture? You were the first people that prayed in tongues and so on and so forth. How many... How many were the people that really began to be bold for God and your family said, it don't take all that. You know how come you're here? Because you've been through it before. Now look at this scripture. 
Hebrews 10, 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle of sufferings. Partly why you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulation on Facebook. Well, you got to be current. For you had, for you were made a spectacle on Instagram. You were made a spectacle on social media. And partly you became a companion of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on my chains and joyfully accepted a plenty of your goods, knowing that we have a better and enduring permission for ourselves in heaven. Therefore, here's the whole purpose. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. Somebody say, do not cast away your confidence. Then it says you have need for endurance that you, after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. So let me tell you what happens when God begins to move in any church, anywhere, where all the people around them are just like, Christians, the name only, or we, we believe it in theory. But when you start pressing for it and declaring it and reading about it, then there's going to be a fight inside of you. They're going to call you names. What did happen to Jesus? He cast out a devil that said, you're casting out the devil by the devil. The early disciples were persecuted without mercy by the Jewish Sanhedrin. Well, the same spirit is here today. And so there's a great fight of affliction inside of you. You are sensing there's people that are angry and mad. People used to eat meals with and have fellowship. When you say, I'm going to press on, you start having all this vitriol come to you. And it's called the fight of affliction. Somebody say, new light, new fight. New light, new fight. New levels, new devils. New levels, new devils. And so here's what you got to understand. I can't be angry at them. I can't fight back with the animal nature. I basically got to say, you know what? I understand. You don't understand. I understand you don't understand. And I'm not going to let you shut me down. Is anybody here what I say? So that's where this church is. They're going to call you a cult. You know, I, you ever, anybody look online, if you're looking for Christian material, they got the heresy hunters and they said, these are heretics in the body of Christ. One day I looked at it, I said, man, half my friends are in that list. <laughs> Only reason I'm not on the list because I'm not more famous. But it's always been that way. But just say transformed by truth. The Holy Spirit of truth is coming to visit this church. Wow. The Holy Spirit is coming. And he's preparing you to make a stand in the spirit. You're not going to take my supernatural away from me. You're not going to take tongues and miracles and signs. You're not going to take my hunger to pursue the things of God. And Jesus said, some of your own family are going to be the hardest to come against you. You see, whenever people leave a church for the wrong reason, they will be relentless to harass you because I got to prove leaving was the right thing. So I got to harass you and harass you and harass you. You're going to say, God bless you. See you in heaven. 
God bless you. We love you. But I got too much in the future to worry about what's happening in my rearview mirror. Is anybody hearing this? So God is saying you're going to get reconciled to righteousness. Now, why is this so important? You don't see things the way they are. You see things the way that you are. Ever notice that thieves always think somebody's stealing from them? Gossips always think somebody's gossiping about them. Liars always think somebody's lying about them. Why? That's how they are, and that's how they see the world. How you see a thing is how you treat a thing. Today, God is saying, I'm about to change your eye. I'm about to change your eye. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Now, let me just say this. There's a lot of lukewarm Christians in the body of Christ in America. They're not on fire. They're not pursuing. They're not aggressive. I mean, you don't come into a Kevin Lill meeting and expect to be done in 90 minutes. I had a pastor was in Brazil, and the meeting lasted three hours. And he says, you're done? I said, I'm done. He said, you're really done. Because I have a lot of five and six hour meetings in Brazil because people just, I mean, just, that's how it works out. I said, no, that's all God gave me. He says, man, just three hours? I said, dude, I'm, I'm going to make up for it tomorrow, but I'm not going to make up stuff just to make the clock go out. But he was like, oh, we want more. Well, if the people don't want more, that's not a problem for you. I love David. Pastor Davis' statement, we won't be mad if you leave early and you don't be mad if we stay late. I love that. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus is talking in the Beatitudes. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. He wasn't saying don't have a bank account. He wasn't saying don't accumulate things. He was saying, don't make that your priority. Don't have your trust in those things. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. This is the key. For where your treasure is, there is your heart also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, the whole body will be full of darkness. Therefore, the light that is in you is darkness. How great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters. Now look at me. What is your treasure? Your treasure determines your focus. Whether you know it or not, what you treasure is what you pursue. Whatever your picture of success is what you pursue. Whatever you think is the most valuable in your life, you will pursue. And God says in this chapter, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. He said, that is your focus. And if you don't have that first, you don't have the right eye. Doesn't mean you're not going to go to heaven, but you have a lot of issues. Well, when you get people that they have the right eye, I want the kingdom. I want the right treasure. Everything changes in their focus. All right, now watch. Matthew 6, 24. No man can serve two masters. I'm going to change a little bit of this verse. No man can serve two masters. 
No man can serve two treasures. No man can serve two pictures of success. For either he will hate the one and love the other, else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve man and two dominant visions or mammon. You may want to Google this. It's an old book, probably 100-something years old, but it's called Dying Testimonies of Saved and Unsaved. Everybody say, Dying Testimonies of Saved and Unsaved. And part of the book, the first half, records people, their dying words, and they went to hell. Other part of the book, dying people that went to heaven. And there was this one lady, she was fabulously wealthy. And she was on her deathbed her last few hours. And she said, open all my closets. She had all kind of fashion and rings, and she was very wealthy. And she says, for this, I'm going to hell. And then she died. For this, I'm going to hell. And she died. Fashion is the new fig leaf. It's hiding who you really are. I don't care if you have fashion, but just make sure it's not your fig leaf to hide who you are. I'm going to Columbia tomorrow, and they have a saying, tell me where you live, I'll tell you who you are. Everything is reflective of your outward. So he says, wherever your treasure is, that's going to focus your eye. Now watch Matthew 6, 21 again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is good, the whole body will be full of light. Somebody say, I got to have kingdom treasure. Else I'm going to be blind. Now this is what kingdom treasure is. Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. Somebody say, his righteousness. His definition of righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. He said, don't chase the things, chase the kingdom, and the things will chase you. Matthew chapter 13, 44, down to verse 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like what? Like what? Treasure hidden in a field. If we could put that on a big screen. Again, the kingdom of God is like what? So what's the treasure, he says, to seek? The kingdom. And if you don't have the kingdom as your primary treasure, the Bible says your entire life is going to be full of darkness. Even if you make a lot of money, you're in darkness. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid and for joy gave it over and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant selling beautiful pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he sold all that he had and bought it. So what he is saying, he has true value. Now, let me just say this about the kingdom. What would happen if you went to an estate sale and there you found a ring and the ring was dirty, it wasn't very clean, and the people that had it thought it was costume jewelry? He said, how much is the ring? Um, $10. You buy the ring, you clean it, and it begins to have a... You said, wait a minute, I want to go check this. And you get it appraised, and what you bought for $10, you find out is worth $35,000. How would you respond? Would you, would you have joy? 
Would you protect it? Would you leave it laying out? It was a treasure. Well, the Bible said that when you find the kingdom for sure, for sure, you have great joy. If you don't have great joy about your salvation, you don't have great joy about being a part of a church where they really have God, you really haven't discovered the kingdom because whoever has the kingdom has great joy. Think about it. Your name is written in the book of life, Alex. Come on. You're nearing the end of your life. And I get great joy because I'm never going to die. I'm just going to transition to my new body. I have the king of kings. I'm going to withstand persecution. You will not take this treasure from me. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? If you know that you really have the kingdom, I need 30 seconds of expression of great joy. As you think about it, you got the kingdom. One, two, three. I got the kingdom. I'm covered by the blood. I'm covered by the blood. I'm covered by the blood. I've got the joy of the kingdom. I've got the treasure of the kingdom. A number of years ago, a multimillionaire committed suicide. He was a well-known guy. And on secular news, they brought a pastor to interview him about this guy that committed suicide. And he said, man, the guy has so much to live for. And the pastor corrected him. He had so much to live on, but nothing to live for. Somebody say, standard of living, quality of life. Standard of living, quality of life. I moved my family from the center of the United States down to the panhandle of Florida about almost 30 years ago, 27 years ago. Because the church that I had been in was formalistic. My kids knew what was going to happen in youth group. Three fast, three slow, preach a funny sermon, play games, then go home. And I began to lose the treasure in my kids. I said, you're not valuing the kingdom. I said, I'm going to have to relocate. Not because it was bad people. They just didn't believe in the treasure the way I did. And I relocated them for treasure. Somebody say, relocate for, relocate for treasure. Think about his treasure. Think about how many times have people left this, this area, Dave, because it's not the most prosperous part of the United States. They got a $20,000 raise, but they lost their children. Now they're gay. Now they're lesbian. Now they don't want God. They left the field of treasure because they had a wrong concept of true value. A single eye. He said, well, Kevin, all you talk about is the kingdom. I got a single eye. Well, Kevin, why do you spend so much time overseas? I, have, I, I drive a 14-year-old car. 
with 150,000, could I buy something different? I could. But I don't want to have any encumbrances so I can go fulfill my kingdom assignment. I've seen the pearl. I've seen the treasure. And you cannot see it by declaration. You can only see this treasure by revelation. Unless you find the treasure, you're impossible to pastor. Unless you've seen the treasure, you're impossible to correct. Unless you've seen the treasure, you resist suffering and sacrifice. Unless you've seen the treasure, it's behavior modification. But once you've seen the treasure, come on, I want you to say, Lord, I want a kingdom eye. I want to see the treasure. I want to experience the treasure. I don't want to serve two masters. And you're going to be the odd person in this valley. Why are you always at church? There's a playoff game tonight. Yeah, I know it is. I'll see the score. I can watch the highlights. But something is about to happen to me. I don't want to miss my personal prophecy. I don't want to miss my presence. I don't want to miss the real treasure. I'm not going to exchange something temporal for something eternal. And there is a generation, if you ever see the treasure, you're going to have some of your friends and their church friends. How come you don't want to be with us because you don't want to talk about the treasure? How come you don't sleep with your girlfriend? God will forgive you because I'm, I'm going to value what he values, his treasure. How come you're upset about this sin because I want to love what he loves and hate what he hates? How come you're just always talking about the Bible? You're getting on my last nerve. I've seen the treasure. You know, on New Year's Eve, some of you know Rodrigo and Melanie. I was at his house in Tampa. And they had a bunch of food, and they were, you know, they were celebrating New Year's Eve, and I was just sitting there. And I, and I said, how, he said, how you doing, Kevin? I said, I'm okay. I said, but I'm waiting for a kingdom opportunity. Why? I don't want to celebrate New Year's without getting a demon out. <laughs> I don't want to celebrate New Year's without getting somebody spirit-filled. I don't want to celebrate New Year without somebody getting touched by the Spirit of God. I don't have that many days left on earth, and I want to leave an imprint on everyone. So right about 10.30, I engage this lady in conversation, her and her husband. They go to a church, but they're full of demons. And the pastor actually brought the people there for me to talk to. So about 11.30 at night, she's on the patio. It's warm there. Screaming out these demons, coughing. And I'm thinking, Happy New Year. 
Happy New Year. We cast devils out of the husband. He's roaring, oh, Happy New Year. So what happened at your party? Oh, we got high, we got drunk. We had, see, one thing about the kingdom mind, you don't have hangovers the next day. If you want, my God, I feel this thing inside of me. Nobody can make you see the treasure. It comes by revelation.